the History Channel original podcast. History this week, May 9th, 1905. I'm Sally Helm. A few months back, after a big outing to see a speech by President Theodore Roosevelt, Anne Reeves Jarvis started to feel funny. She tells her daughter Anna that she has some kind of faintness in her heart. Anna's worried. She's very close to her mother. They send for a doctor. The first of 10 doctors who will visit Anne in the coming weeks. One says it's the kidneys. Another says it's the stomach. Another says there's nothing to do because it's just old age. Anna is trying everything that she can to help. But then, one afternoon, she later writes, a change came, as gently and insidiously as a shadow. Anne Reeves Jarvis begins lapsing in and out of consciousness, having strange dreams, hallucinating. She thinks that Anna is taking them on a journey and insists that she make travel preparations. And finally, on May 9th, Anna walks into the room where her mother is lying sick. It's 8.30 in the morning. Sunlight is coming through the windows, and she can feel that the moment is close. And then, she writes later, in that deep, mysterious silence only known in the hour of death, the beautiful, peaceful soul of my mother glided from us gently, as softly as the night passes into day. For Anna, the next few weeks are full of grief, but also of a gathering sense of purpose. On the day of the funeral, she makes a promise to herself. She's going to do something that her own beloved mother had actually dreamed of doing. She wants to create a holiday, a whole day devoted to celebrating mothers. Today, Mother's Day. A daughter puts all the rest of us to shame in her epic quest to honor her mom. To this day, we celebrate on the second Sunday of May because that's the Sunday closest to the day that Anne Reeves Jarvis died. How did Anna Jarvis become a minor celebrity known for her fanatical devotion to Mother's Day? And why did she come to hate the holiday she created? 
They walk through the sanctuary, past the stained glass windows, and wind up in the kitchen. There, on the floor of a kitchen, are boxes of material. And, and they tell me that in this box, oh, these, we have some of Anna Jarvis's papers. The historian in her panics. By that time, these documents are almost 100 years old. And I'm like, are you, sh- you shouldn't put them <laughs> on a box in a kitchen. What if a pipe bursts and the place floods and they all get lost? So she says to the shrine, why don't you let me archive them? I'll organize the papers, get the right storage boxes. We'll put them up really high. And I'll do it for free, as long as I can photocopy anything interesting that I find. And I figured, well, maybe I would get an article or something out of it. At the time, all Antolini knew about Anna Jarvis was that she was the founder of Mother's Day and that by the end of her life, she hated how commercialized the holiday had become. But as Antolini's going through the papers, she comes across this letter Jarvis wrote. It's typed seven pages long, and reading it, she starts to get to know Jarvis in a new way. The letter is basically one long rant against the greeting card industry, the florists. She's mad at all these different charities. She's mad at the Father's Day movement. She's mad at the Roosevelts. And I'm like, what in the world did they do to you that you are so mad at them? This first impression of Anna Jarvis was not so far from the impression that a lot of people had of her during her lifetime. She was a minor celebrity. One of the favorite things that the newspapers loved to do was print some of the so-called crazy things she did. Hmm. Because that made good print. There was the time she crashed a confectioner's convention. Or threatened to sue five Sunday school associations for promoting a mother and daughter week. Or got so mad when the U.S. Secretary of Labor supported a rival group's Mother's Day charity work that she compared her to Mussolini. Some of the things that the press said about her, she would deny. But then in some of the things the press said about her, I know for a fact she did. Like, one of Antolini's favorite stories is about a time Jarvis goes to lunch in a department store. She sees a Mother's Day salad on the menu, so she orders it. And when it arrives, Anna picks it up and dumps it on the floor upset that he is commercializing her day by selling a salad. So she out so of she her- she ordered it just to dump it on the floor. Just to dump it on the floor to make a point. And she did that stuff all the time. These are the kinds of stories that the press loved to tell. But as she continued her research, Antolini grew sympathetic to Jarvis. If you think about single women in the early 20th century who are trying to carve their own path, the easiest way to dismiss her and her claims is to call her crazy. I think she had every right to be as passionate and angry as she wanted to be. I think she was justified in at least posing the question that something is wrong with how my day is being used. For the record, Anna Jarvis was not the first person to propose a day to celebrate mothers. There had been a woman in Michigan, another in Kentucky. Poet Julia Ward Howe suggested it, And of course, Anna Jarvis got the idea from her own mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis. Anne Reeves Jarvis had been a mother activist. She'd organized groups of mothers to try and prevent illnesses that caused high childhood mortality. And according to Anna Jarvis, her mother used to pray for someone to found a day to honor mothers. So her daughter decided to answer that prayer. 
She had this great quote, she said in, in 1924, success belongs to those that accomplish, not to persons of a mere idea or some variety never put into practice. <laughs> so she's like, sure, there's people who claim that they thought of the idea. Anybody can think of something. But success is those who put it in action. Starting in 1907, two years after her mother's death, Anna Jarvis begins a letter-writing campaign trying to make Mother's Day happen. She writes to important people, people like Theodore Roosevelt, Mark Twain, Henry Hines of Ketchup fame. And she also founds an organization to support her efforts. What is the Mother's Day International Association? That is Anna. That is her association. <laughs> it's out of her home. And she would sometimes say we as if she had a staff, <laughs> but I don't think she did. I mean, every once in a while there was a mention of an assistant, but it was her. She trademarks the phrases Mother's Day and Second Sunday in May, the date when she decided the holiday would be celebrated. It was the Sabbath day closest to the anniversary of her mother's death. She was really designing things as she went because this holiday was unprecedented. Father's Day didn't yet exist. Though the way Jarvis saw it, the calendar was already full of holidays celebrating fathers. You have Independence Day that celebrates our founding fathers. You have Labor Day that celebrates our working fathers. Even New Year's Eve is father time. Hmm. So in this calendar that's crammed full of days that honor fathers, why is it so hard just to have one day that is exclusively to celebrate mothers? That is the drum Jarvis is beating for seven years. She has that national letter-writing campaign, but she also works locally, targeting newspaper editors and department store owners who have the power to spread the idea of Mother's Day. She gets churches in her home state of West Virginia to start celebrating with a service, and then that spreads to other churches in other states. Jarvis is tireless in getting the word out. And people really like the idea. By 1909, almost every state in the country has hosted some kind of Mother's Day observance. And then, in 1914, Jarvis gets an enormous win. The U.S. Congress and President Woodrow Wilson declare Mother's Day a national holiday. And she soaked it up. She was there in the gallery when it was passed. And she supposedly was given one of the pens that Woodrow Wilson used to sign. And so it was just recognition of her hard work. But it was bittersweet, right? Because this is where Jarvis's problems begin. Her holiday, the holiday that she says she came up with while she was standing over her mother's grave, it starts to get bigger and bigger. And as it does, Jarvis begins to lose control of it. Other people, people she calls Mother's Day imposters, begin to claim it as their own. She had a whole enemies list. You were either a profiteer or you were a Christian pirate. That usually was my favorite. You were a charity charlatan. You were an anti-mother propagandist. So Floro initially fell under the profiteers. The floral industry. They will become one of Jarvis's biggest adversaries. At first, they seemed like collaborators. When Anna Jarvis founds her international association and trademarks the phrase Mother's Day, she also comes up with an official Mother's Day symbol, the white carnation. 
And she will tell different stories about it. One At first, she says she chose it because it was her mother's favorite flower. But then over time... She starts to develop this very elaborate imagery around why this white carnation is this perfect representation of a mother's devotion and a mother's love. She wrote, Its whiteness is to symbolize the truth, purity, and broad charity of mother love. Its fragrance, her memory, and her prayers. The carnation does not drop its petals, but hugs them to its heart as it dies. And so, too, mothers hug their children to their hearts, their mother love never dying. I mean, you eat that up, right? It sells itself. It is no surprise that florists were eager to hop on the carnation bandwagon. And at first, Jarvis reached out to them directly, asking for their help promoting the holiday. And so she let them in the door, right? I don't know what she thought would happen. It started with a price jump. White carnations cost just half a cent in 1908. In fact, Jarvis admitted that one more practical reason she picked them as a symbol for her holiday was that they were relatively cheap. But by 1912, white carnations were 15 cents each. And in the next decade, prices would rise to a whole dollar a flower, far outpacing inflation. The floral industry also tries to diversify. They introduce other flowers you can buy for Mother's Day. Jarvis hates that. She tries to lead floral industry boycotts. At one point, she creates this pin. Very lovely. It's a a small little pin. With an image of a white carnation on it and tries to get people to use that instead of buying actual flowers. And it's not really about the money to her. In fact, she offers to give away her pin for free. And the Florist Association reportedly offers her commission off carnation sales, which she flatly rejects. She doesn't want to be involved in using Mother's Day for commercial profit. And if all that wasn't bad enough, A 1913 issue of a floral industry magazine claimed, quote, Mother's Day is ours. We made it, practically unaided and alone. This is a direct affront. They aren't giving Jarvis credit, and they're using the Mother's Day name, which she owns the rights to. But they do it in this very deliberate way. Jarvis had trademarked mother apostrophe S, like a day for my mother. But the floral industry... When they market Mother's Day, they do it possessive plural. All the mothers, the day for all the mothers. Yeah, so they move the apostrophe. So by doing that, they argue, they're not violating her copyright. So Anna would go on to say, you can always tell an imposter (laughs) by how they spell mothers. You can tell an imposter by the apostrophe. The florists are not the only ones to use this trick. Many of the people on Jarvis's list of enemies find this little loophole, including the group that will become her chief rival, the American War Mothers. The American War Mothers was founded during the First World War as a group for mothers of soldiers to advocate for themselves and their sons. On Jarvis's enemy list, they fell under the category charity charlatans. Whether it's the war mothers or anybody else, she doesn't believe the money goes to actually help mothers. She believes that money is going to pay organizers. It doesn't seem that she had any specific reason to think that the war mothers were lining their own pockets. She's just really against the commercialization of Mother's Day in any way. 
Antolini told us, you have to understand, Jarvis had a sort of sentimental view of the holiday. It was a simple homecoming. Go home and spend the day with your mother. It's a very simple, simple notion, right? And so she hated it when people started to detract from that. No, to celebrate mothers, you need to be given to charity or to celebrate motherhood, you need to, you know, buy flowers. I mean, she kind of resented how the, what was going to be a simple homecoming gets aggrandized for profit or for some political agenda. Jarvis didn't see Mother's Day through any kind of activist lens, but the war mothers did. And they started to sell white carnations every Mother's Day and use the proceeds to help veterans and their families, fund hospital services or monuments to dead soldiers. Now, in a way, this was actually in line with Anne Reeves Jarvis's original vision of Mother's Day and motherhood. Remember, she had been involved in groups of mothers who were fighting against childhood illnesses. She even organized those groups to help out during the Civil War. So she might have been into what the American war mothers were doing. But Anna Jarvis comes to hate them. She says they're making Mother's Day all about them when it should be for all mothers, not just the war mothers. And honestly, Jarvis just didn't like anyone else meddling with her holiday, taking any of the glory. Her ego was so tied into it. There's just no question about that. Jarvis is very annoyed that the war mothers are using the white carnation. She figures... They had several different kind of symbols, and one was stars. Gold star mothers! They didn't need another symbol. And that of all the flowers to take, right, they purposely picked the white carnation, knowing that they could sell it and monopolize it by connecting it to her Mother's Day. The flower drama comes to a head at the American War Mothers Annual Convention in 1925. It was held in Philadelphia, where Anna Jarvis was living. So, right in her backyard. I'm always shocked by this. If they know they're in a fight with Anna Jarvis, why have a convention in the town she lives in? But that's always... <laughs> You're inviting it. She's going to show yeah, up. I know. You, you asked for that one. It was the kind of incident that made Anna Jarvis minorly famous. In 1925, she angrily crashes this convention of the American War Mothers. To berate them. How dare you, you know, using the white carnation as one of your symbols. How dare you're using Mother's Day to raise all these funds. You have no right to do these things. The War Mothers want her arrested, charged with disorderly conduct. 
So she's carted before a magistrate. But the magistrate knows who she is and loves his own mother. According to a news report from The Time, the magistrate knows Anna Jarvis came up with the white carnation. And he says, quote, Whenever I see a white carnation, I think of my own mother. You have done a very wonderful thing, and all the glory belongs to you. You are discharged. In the Battle of the Carnation, it is a victory for Jarvis. But her war with the War Mothers continues. They have this big fight over an annual Mother's Day service the group holds at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. FDR even gets involved. Jarvis writes him an angry letter. That's why I was always so impressed with her, man. She'll send an angry letter to FDR as soon as she'll send an angry letter to the floors down the street. Eventually, the American war mothers are getting fed up with Anna Jarvis and her monopoly on Mother's Day. They want to use it for their own purposes, and she's a constant presence. She is not going to let it go. So they have to neutralize her. They have to make her no longer a problem. So they try to write her out of the history. In 1925, the president of the American War Mothers publishes what she calls an objective history of Mother's Day. It does not include a long passage honoring Anna Jarvis. Instead, she's like, there's other men, and again, they're all men, who are should be given credit for the establishment of Mother's Day. The true founder, she says, is a man named Frank Herring. He was the leader of a fraternal organization, and apparently back in 1904, he'd proposed the celebration of a Mother's Day, just like Jarvis and the women who came before her. Jarvis might have said that Herring was one of the many people who talked about the holiday but didn't follow through. But the war mothers... They give him credit and call him the father of Mother's Day. And they say, really, Anna had nothing to do with it. Frank came up with the idea... These politicians pushed it through Congress. It, it could have happened without her, mm. is the argument. This is a huge slap in the face to a woman who signed her letters, Anna Jarvis, founder of Mother's Day. And on top of that, the War Mothers spell the holiday the way the florists had, the same way Frank Herring and many of Jarvis's enemies did, with the possessive plural. And then, to make matters even worse, they use the Frank Herring story as part of a fundraising campaign. The charity charlatans strike again. So the American War Mothers come up with this idea of, we need a commemorative stamp. They get the government on board. President Roosevelt, sensing a PR win, even does an initial sketch of the stamp himself. And the materials that go along with the stamp give Frank Herring credit for inventing the day. The stamp project is a huge boost for Herring's reputation. And for the American War Mothers, it's a fundraising success. And over the coming decades, Mother's Day continues to soar to ever higher heights. It's celebrated by U.S. presidents. Mrs. Truman arrives in Washington to observe Mother's Day with her son, the President of the United States. It spreads overseas. Even as in Duitsland, wordt ook in Nederland Moederdag op waardige wijze gevierd. The floral industry continues to love it. If you could give mommy anything at all in the world, what would you give her? The flowers. Flowers. The American War Mothers keep doing their thing. At Arlington, Virginia, where America's unknown soldier sleeps, there are also memories. The memories of mothers whose sons did not come back. Meanwhile, Anna Jarvis... Her fight literally takes everything out of her. Her finances, her physical health, her emotional health. She is left 
broken and impoverished. In 1944, Jarvis stumbles into a Philadelphia hospital. She's emaciated, she's disoriented, and clearly she's in distress. Some of her supporters round up enough money to pay for her to stay in a sanitarium. According to a contemporary newspaper account, that includes a national floral organization, which contributes $1,500 as a belated act of gratitude. In 1948, an obituary is published in papers across the country. Anna M. Jarvis, lonely spinster who founded Mother's Day and then fought in vain against its commercialization, died today at 84, blind and penniless. Her battle against the commercial interests was a losing one. But while Jarvis lost her battle against the Mother's Day profiteers, it is in many ways her vision of motherhood that we celebrate today. It's that sentimental, childlike celebration of motherhood is what's being marketed. You know, I still have a carnation that my oldest, who's now 23, made when he was probably in kindergarten. I wear that thing every Mother's Day, right? It's all children saying how much I love my mother. It makes sense that Jarvis held up that childlike vision of motherhood. Because unlike Anne Reeves Jarvis or the American War Mothers or a host of other groups that have used Mother's Day as a part of their activism or political work, Anna Jarvis wasn't a mother herself. So she saw mothers from a child's perspective, as the center of her home and her world. And as she would have wanted, that's the sentiment we still see everywhere today whenever Mother's Day comes up. It's on every greeting card in the drugstore. Making money for the Mother's Day profiteers. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. This episode was produced by Julia Press. History This Week is also produced by Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. McKamey Lynn is our senior producer, and our editor and sound designer is David Gorin. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.